I'm Dave Cauley, investigative journalist and host of the podcast, Cold. Don't miss Cold's new Season 3, where I look into the unsolved disappearance of Cherie Warren, a woman last seen leaving her job at a Salt Lake City office in 1985. Police cast suspicion on Cherie's estranged husband and boyfriend, but never made any arrests or recovered Cherie's remains. Find Cold Season 3, The Search for Cherie, anywhere you get your podcasts. 1160 AM and KSLNewsRadio.com. This Inside Sources. Inside Sources. Utah's source for exclusive access and insights behind the news. Here's the opinion page editor of the Deseret News, Boyd Matheson, on KSL News Radio 102.7 FM and 1160 AM. Welcome back, everyone, to Inside Sources here on KSL News Radio. Great to be with you today. I am Boyd Matheson, opinion editor at the Deseret News. And as was mentioned earlier, looking forward to this uh, conversation. Uh, many of you know that uh, I spend some time most days uh, popping around different uh, cable networks, uh, giving some commentary on news of the day and things that are happening. And I have to tell you, there are, there are moments when you're waiting to go on and you're wondering who they have paired you with in terms of other panelists for a discussion. And uh, of late, I have always had this big sigh of relief when I hear that Amanda Mackey is going to be one of the fellow panelists. And Amanda is uh, from Florida, former congressional candidate down there. She's a political strategist and an attorney. Uh, and I'm always grateful when uh, her voice is going to be one of the voices on a panel. So, uh, Amanda, thanks for joining us today. Thank you, Boyd. What a kind introduction. And the feeling is mutual. It's always nice. I think maybe it's because of our aligned backgrounds, having uh, legislative experience, both working on uh, you know campaigns, obviously, and in the uh, and in the Senate and Congress. And there's so much going on right now that we can both comment on. So it's always fun to be with you. Uh, on Newsmax and other other networks. Yeah, always a, always a great conversation. And uh, I want just for our listeners, I want to get uh, just a little. Your backstory is just so amazing. What led you to ultimately run uh, for Congress there in the state of Florida? Uh, but uh, your your family history actually goes back to the uh, revolution in Iran in, in 1979. Uh, tell us just a little bit of your backstory. <laughs> Yeah, that's right. So, um, you know, I was I was born in 78, came as an infant to the United States. We legally came. But the the way that we came is so fascinating. You know, it's really escaping uh, the country and the revolution happened so quickly. You know, the Shah of Iran was gone January 15th, 1979. And the Ayatollah Khomeini was in place February 1st. And so, you know, for those of us who were pro-Shah, um, pro the previous uh, government before Iran became a theocracy instead of the monarchy that it once was, um, you know, people just fled and people fled for their lives because my, my father, who at the time was 26, said, you know, they'd either, you know, kill us or torture us. And so I knew we had to get out. And so they didn't even tell their own family members. Um, I mean, imagine being 26 years old. Uh, having a newborn and not telling your own family, your own parents, just because you didn't know who would have said what and jeopardized your ability to get out of the country. But my parents, you know, we we came here legally. Um, we sought political asylum. We waited our turn. Uh, it took, I believe, about two decades for my parents to become United States citizens. Uh, in the interim, my father 
He studied to become a doctor and, you know, they had no resources. They had nothing. But, uh, but you know, he succeeded because he knew he wanted to give his family a better life. My mom delivered yellow pages and was a nanny to put him through school. And we lived the American dream. I grew up in uh, a town called Potomac, Maryland, and that's just outside of D.C. And it is just an idyllic place. For, uh, for you to be able to go to school, uh, be able to you know, raise a family. And that was all just through hard work. And yeah. so it is a real contrast to the way I think Democrats, especially those in office now, like Joe Biden, think that America should be versus what it was for us. Yeah. And, uh, and living that American dream, I think, is so important to be able to make sure that people have that. Yeah. And, and so vital. And, and uh uh, I'm just going to, for our listeners, again, uh, we've got uh, Amanda Mackey on, on the line with us from Florida. And, and part of her story, uh, not only her family, uh, you know, getting that political asylum here, living that version of the American dream, delivering yellow pages. We'll have to explain that to uh, a few folks. It's those, <laughs> Their uh, doorstop it's, for those. Yeah. <laughs> <for> those. <laughs> uh, but to go from, you know, being an infant coming into this country that way with your parents willing to pay that price to you as a, a Farsi language speaker uh, being appointed by George W. Bush uh, to serve the Army General Council at the Pentagon uh, just after uh, the 9-11 attacks, uh, that, that is quite a version of the the American story and the principles. Uh, and it's one of the things I always appreciate about your your commentary is that you do get to principles. And I want to get to one. Uh, you had a, an article uh, recently at uh, TampaBay.com uh, in the opinion section there uh, talking about leadership and really talking about this legislating uh, versus doing things by executive order. We've got that up on our uh, Facebook page so people can uh, check that out. Uh, but tell us a little bit, Amanda, in terms of just those principles of we've obviously seen an unprecedented number of executive orders in the uh, first few days of the Biden administration. And you actually compared that in an interesting way uh, back to LBJ. Tell us about that. Yeah, so I was speaking at a uh, global conference here in St. Petersburg, Florida last week, and, you know, I, I wrote my speech, and so many people said, that is just so interesting. So I, I condensed it to a, you know, 700-word uh, opinion editorial piece, so I'm glad you have it up. But basically, you know, I thought, well, who can we look at to compare what Joe Biden's presidency may look like? And so I went back to the most recent president who served uh, quite a bit of time, nearly two decades in the United States Senate. And well, there's LBJ, someone who was, you know, dubbed the master of the Senate, certainly someone who knew how to get legislation passed and really did the hard work. Well, we're we're not going to sit here and agree with whatever LBJ did or disagree. That's not what the premise of the article is, the premise of the article is, how did you achieve what you set out to achieve? And, you know, from LBJ's perspective, it was about strong arming, it was about bullying, but it was also about, you know, working in a bipartisan way. And that's what he was able to do, uh, you know, rightly or wrongly. And there were a lot of controversial things that he was able to get passed. But, you know, for example, one uh, piece of legislation that he moved was, was Medicare. And I know a lot of people, you know, enjoy having, having that benefit. But at the time, it was highly controversial. Um, compare that to how Joe Biden is legislating. And all I could think of is he is in the ilk of Barack Obama. That's what he's doing. 
He is ruling by legislative, or I'm sorry, by um, fiat. Executive, yeah. He is ruling by executive order. Um, it, but even more so than Obama did. Obama had 16 in his first month. Uh, Joe Biden had 30. Uh, you know, so he's he's definitely using the power of the pen to to do that. Um, but he's also promised unity and you know less division and bringing the country together and healing. How do you do that if you are ruling by fiat? How are you how are you doing that? If you say, I don't care what the Republicans want, we're going to go at this alone if we have to, and you're going to take it or leave it. And we're going to use every process, the reconciliation process that will only require 51 votes instead of the 60 votes that it requires to pass it. And if you don't like it, too bad. We have power. Yeah. And, and then compare that. Uh, you know, we talked about LBJ. We talked about Barack Obama doing the same thing. He did it with Obamacare. Right. Exactly what he did. They passed it through reconciliation. They got it through without any Republican support. Yeah. And, and then, you know, just look at where Trump was. Five different COVID legislations, but I really focus on the two major ones, mm-hmm. all bipartisan. And Trump had just been impeached by the House. When that happened. So think about what he did. He said, let's set aside our differences because, you know, yeah, Nancy Pelosi and I can't stand each other, but she can work with my Treasury Secretary Stephen Mnuchin and pass legislation so that we can provide relief for the American people. And they did it in a bipartisan way. Uh, last April. Yeah. Then so, you had, uh, you know, just at the end of this year, this past year in December, again, they passed legislation on COVID bipartisan. So you're telling me President Trump can do it, you know, five times, but Joe Biden can't be bothered to do it even once. Yeah, it is a uh, it is a fascinating thing. And the, and the historical perspective, I think, is is so interesting and so important. I think LGB, uh, LBJ was uh, often dubbed the uh, the guy with uh, velvet gloves and hands of steel. Uh, but he went through the process uh, that I think is important. And uh, as you mentioned, you know, having this uh, $1.9 trillion going through uh, on reconciliation as opposed to real legislation uh, is a uh, is a big challenge to be sure. Uh, we got to cut. Well, to, it's to... real money, and <laughs> it's you know money that uh, that you know it will be financed on the backs of future generations. Yes. It's not financed on you know being beholden to countries like China, and that's dangerous. It is. Uh, but look at what's in the bill, and you're looking at you know basically nine percent spending on COVID relief, and the rest is really a you know Christmas tree wish list <laughs> um, for uh, for Nancy Pelosi and Democrats. Yeah, there's yeah a lot of a lot of money going to uh, states. Blue states in particular that uh, have not managed their uh, finances very well. Amanda, we really appreciate you joining us. We will have you back and uh, continue this discussion. There are some critical principles uh, and having people who have understood the legislative process uh, in all of this is, is so vital. But Amanda, thanks for joining us today. We'll talk to you again real soon. Thank you, Boyd. All right, we're going to step aside for a quick commercial break. When we come back, we're going to talk about what that $1.9 trillion actually means in terms of an interest that we're all paying uh, coming up next here on KSL News Radio. Stay with me. A gun in the face. Then all of a sudden, they all kind of lined up. They pointed their guns at me. And this is the point where I thought, I'm going to die today. Started two years of horror for an American in Venezuela. They said... You need to 
Give us your phone and get ready because you're coming with us. I'm Becky Bruce, and I spent a year researching and piecing together Josh and Tammy Holt's story about their ordeal in a notorious prison. That's when everything started to turn bad. We had another pound on the door. Boom, boom, boom. And there was the police once again. You can binge all of the episodes of Hope in Darkness on kslpodcasts.com or wherever you get your podcasts.